Good morning, church. Grace and peace to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to this time of worship at Faith Community United Methodist Church. Good to be with you in worship this morning. I'd ask you to find the attendance pads, fill those out, pass them along to others worshiping next to you this morning so they can fill them out as well. As you do that, make sure you pay attention to the announcements that are in your bulletin insert. The Father's Day carnations are now on sale. There's a box out on the table in the narthex for ordering your Father's Day carnations. The uh, dates for Vacation Bible School are in the bulletin. uh, That's coming up pretty soon. Uh, We're getting close, June 20th through 24th, Vacation Bible School. So make sure you put that on your calendar. There's information there about if you want to uh, sign up to volunteer. There's always room for more volunteers. So uh, please uh, be a part of that Vacation Bible School. I want to remind you that next Sunday is when we change our Sunday morning schedule. So beginning next Sunday, Sunday school starts at 9.15 and worship begins in here at 10.30. So uh, make sure you make a note of that, worship in here at 10.30. Uh, For those of you worshiping online who have told me that you wish you could be here in person but you just can't get here at 9 o'clock, I expect to see you next Sunday. And uh, it'll be good to have you in worship with us in person as well. So uh, we do come this morning to offer ourselves in worship and praise. I invite you to be in the spirit of worship and stand as you're able for the call to worship. Please join with me in the call to worship. In awe and wonder, we lift our eyes to the heavens. We raise our songs of joy to the ruler of all time and space. We gather to remember to one who shared our common lot, Jesus Christ, who visited this earth, who dwells in heaven. We open ourselves to baptism with the Holy Spirit. We expect to be empowered as witnesses in today's world. Please join me in the opening singing of the opening hymn, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name, hymn number 154.
be seated. And please join with me in the opening prayer. As Christ ascended to heaven, our spirits are lifted to you this day, O God. Your spirit fills all the universe. We dwell within your embrace and cannot escape from your watchful care. You are with us here, choosing us as apostles and instructing us in the way we should go. Focus our limited understanding on the person of Jesus, that all he did and taught might come alive in us during this hour. Grant to us convincing proof of your promises as we welcome your winds of change in our lives. Amen. Please join us in the prayer hymn, He is Lord, hymn number 177. Jesus Christ, you indeed are Lord. You are Lord of this world, Lord of all creation, and Lord of each of our lives. As you were risen from the grave, you proved that you were Lord over life and death, that indeed you have power over all things. And when you ascended into heaven, you showed that you are Lord over all creation in all times and in all places and are seated at the right hand of the Father where you reign over all. Lord, we give you all honor and glory for your goodness to us, for the fact that you care about each one of us, that you show your grace to us in our own lives, helping us in our times of trial, strengthening us in our times of temptation, forgiving us when we have given in and gone astray, leading us back to you when we have agreed to be your servants and submitted ourselves to your care, to your control. Lord, we pray to you on this Memorial Day weekend as we remember those of, of this country who have given of themselves in service to us and who have made that ultimate sacrifice of losing their own lives for the good of this country, for the good of each one of us. Lord, bless all of those who are willing to make that sacrifice of themselves so that others might enjoy freedom, might enjoy peace, might enjoy all of the blessings that come from you, Father Almighty. Lord, we pray to you for a broken country and a broken world where we continue to see acts of terror, where we can continue to see acts of hatred, particularly this week in 
in Texas with yet another school shooting. Lord, we cry out to you. We cry out to you for families that are torn apart, for friends who don't know how to go on. Lord, we pray for you to restore us. We pray to you just to protect us and show us what you would have us do. Lord, work through each one of us to be your agents of peace and healing in this world, in this place, in this community. May we be that light shining on the hill. Lord, let your light shine through each one of us. Lord, let your light shine through this congregation as we live in that love with one another which you have shown us, which you have poured out within us. Continue to work through us for the building of your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name as we offer to you now the prayer that he has taught us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We continue to worship through the giving of our tithes and offerings as the ushers come to wait upon us. Please join me in the prayer of dedication. May our offerings express our care for one another and our commitment to serve the world in the name of Christ. Help us to use well all the resources you entrust to us. 
Equip us as forgiven and forgiving people to carry the good news to people we meet every day, as well as to unknown sisters and brothers who live in desperate circumstances we can scarcely imagine. May our gifts and our lives praise you. Amen. Please be seated. Our scripture lesson comes from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set up, set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The word of God for the people of God. Amen.
I neglected to mention during the announcements the lunch that we have next week following worship. There is a lunch uh, prepared uh, celebrating Pentecost. Next week is, is Pentecost, so wear red, uh, stay for lunch for, uh, to celebrate Pentecost, and also to celebrate all of our uh, musicians who have contributed to our worship over this past year, the uh, bell choir and the chancel choir, the praise band, uh, celebrating all that they contribute to our congregation. Uh, this week, of course, on, on our country's calendar is Memorial Day weekend. On the church calendar, it is Ascension Sunday. And uh, I saw online this week that uh, the Ascension marks the day that uh, Jesus started working from home. Yeah, I thought it was funny. There was a, a mother whose young child was having difficulty cleaning up his room. She had told him a number of times to get his toys all put away, but he kept getting distracted, playing with them, not getting anything cleaned up. The mother had recently been to a prayer conference where she had learned that if you are having trouble accomplishing something, then you need to take a moment to pray about it and confess your struggles to God and, and ask Jesus to help you with whatever you may be struggling with. So she decided to teach this strategy to her young child. She led the child in confessing to God his struggle to stay focused on cleaning up his room, and she asked Jesus to help him accomplish the task. After praying together, her child seemed encouraged. She thought to herself, wow, this really works. But after a while, she came back to the room, and she found him just sitting there on the floor, not doing a thing. Still nothing had been put away. In frustration, she yelled, what are you doing? Just as frustrated, he yelled back, I'm waiting for Jesus to come clean up my room. Before ascending into heaven, Jesus told his disciples, wait here until you have been clothed with power from on high. After ascending into heaven, an angel told the disciples, this Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Forty days had passed since the resurrection. For forty days, the risen Christ had been appearing in bodily form to the disciples. For forty days following the resurrection, the disciples had the risen Jesus there with them. During those forty days, he continued to teach them just as he had for the three years prior. Although now I'm sure they were even more attentive to everything he had to say. During those 40 days, he continued to open to them the words of the, Holy, of the Hebrew prophets, although now I'm sure those prophecies took on new meaning for them that they had been unable to grasp prior to the crucifixion and resurrection. For 40 days following the resurrection, the disciples could ask Jesus questions face-to-face -face and get a face-to-face -face response. For 40 days, they could seek his counsel and get a direct word from Jesus. For 40 days, he continued to lead them just as he had for the previous three years. But after those 40 days came the glorious event known as the Ascension, the day that the disciples witnessed Jesus rising up above them into the air and being carried into heaven. I can't even begin to picture what that must have looked like. The best my mind can come up with looks like a Hollywood B-film using some really bad 1970s special effects. I'm sure had I been there, I would have been staring into the sky with my mouth gaping open, just as the disciples were. It must not have taken long before the question entered their minds, what now? What now? For three years prior to the crucifixion, the disciples had simply gone wherever Jesus went. For 40 days following the resurrection, Jesus was still there to teach them where to go and what to do. But now, Jesus wasn't standing in front of them anymore. Now, it seemed, they were on their own. They did have the promise that Jesus would return, though. I'd imagine that for some, there must have been that temptation to sit down on the ground and wait. When someone asked, what are you doing? They would answer in frustration, I'm waiting for Jesus. I'm waiting for Jesus to come clean up my life. 
I'm waiting for Jesus to come clean up the world. I'm waiting for Jesus to come back and I'm going to sit here and wait until he does. Jesus did say that he would be back. And he did tell them to wait, but he did not tell them to wait until he came back. Rather, he told them to wait until they had been clothed with power from on high. And he told them when they had been clothed with power from on high, then they would have work to do, work that they would be sent out to do before he came back. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Forty days was a frequent designation of time in the Bible. A 40-day flood in the time of Noah. Moses spending 40 days on the mountain receiving God's law. Jesus fasting in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. The examples go on and on. So it should come as no surprise that the period of time that the risen Jesus spent walking among his disciples was 40 days. If you look at all of the stories in the Bible that involve a 40-day time period, in each case it seems that those 40 days was a time of preparation, being prepared for carrying out God's will. The 40-day flood was a time of cleansing the earth, preparing Noah and his family to carry out God's plan for reestablishing the human race. The 40 days Moses was on top of the mountain was preparing him for delivering the law to God's people and preparing the people to receive it. Jesus spent 40 days fasting in the wilderness before he could begin his public ministry. And during those 40 days, he was tested and he was strengthened against any attacks so that when he began his public ministry, he would be well prepared and spiritually armed for what was to come. Being strengthened for carrying out God's will, being prepared for the task ahead, that's what all of these 40-day periods in the Bible are about. And so it is with the 40 days of resurrection appearances. The 40 days from the resurrection to the ascension were a time of preparing the disciples for what was about to come. And what was about to come was the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the commission to go out and spread the gospel of Christ. Where? To the ends of the earth. Had the 40 days with the resurrected Jesus not occurred, the disciples never would have been equipped for what God was expecting them to do. But had the 40 days with the resurrected Jesus never ended, the disciples never would have gone out empowered by the Holy Spirit to fulfill their God-given mission. If the flood had never ended, Noah and his family would have been trapped on that ark and, and the earth never would have been repopulated. Had Moses' time with God on the mountain never ended, the people of God would never have received the law, nor would they have been led into the promised land. Had Jesus remained in the wilderness forever, no one would ever have received his teaching or heard his call, follow me. There would have been no death and no resurrection to save humankind. Jesus' time on the earth, the bodily resurrection appearances, had to come to an end. That time had to end after 40 days because those resurrection appearances were not the purpose, they were merely the preparation. Preparing the disciples to receive the Holy Spirit and then to go out to the ends of the earth and to do the work that God was calling them to do. But sometimes, sometimes we Christians act as if all that's expected of us is to sit on the floor in the middle of the big mess that we've made and just wait for Jesus to come clean it all up. We look around at the, at the mess we've made of the environment and we say, well, when Jesus comes back, he'll clean it all up. We look at the mess we've made of our society and we say, well, when Jesus comes back, he'll clean it up. We hear the news of yet another school shooting and another and another. And we say, well, when Jesus comes back, he'll clean it up. Now, it's perfectly true that when Jesus comes back, he will clean it all up. He will. 
But that doesn't mean that he expects us to sit on the floor doing nothing while we wait for him to come back and do it. He expects us to get to work now. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit, to empower us to go out and do the work. To do the work where? In Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, in Xenia and in Dayton, in Texas and in Ukraine, and unto the ends of the earth. In verse 11, the angels said to the disciples, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. If those two sentences were reversed, the question would make absolutely no sense. Think about it. If the angels first said, This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And then the angels asked, Why do you stand there looking into heaven? What a silly question that would be. I'm looking up toward heaven because you just told me that Jesus is going to come back down in the same way that he was taken up. I'm waiting to see it happen. But as it stands, the statement of the angels suggests that we're not supposed to stand around looking toward heaven, waiting to catch a glimpse of Jesus coming back down. We're supposed to trust that he is coming, only God knows when, and then get on with doing the work that he has given us to do in his name. Spread the gospel in his name. Care for one another in his name. Clean up the messes that we've made of this world, of the environment, of our society, of our schools, of our relationships with one another. We can do these things in His name and by His power because He has given us the Holy Spirit and commanded us to do just that. Imagine a couple of parents who are going out for the evening, leaving their children at home. The children are old enough and responsible enough that they don't need a babysitter. What do the parents say to the children before heading out the door? Don't burn the house down. No. Well, maybe. We love you. Of course they say we love you. But there's something else that the parents probably say, too. We'll be back. Why do parents say to their children, we'll be back, when they're heading out the door? Do they think that if they don't say that, the kids are going to think that they've been deserted? That the parents are running off and the kids are there on their own from there on out? Do they say it so that the kids will sit by the window anxiously watching and waiting, not doing anything all evening, just looking out the window in eager anticipation of the parents' return? No, that's not why they say it, and, and that's not what they expect. Parents tell their children, we'll be back for two reasons. One, to reassure them even though the children already know without it being said that the parents are not running away, that nothing bad is going to happen to them, that they are coming back. Still, it's nice to hear them say it. It's calming. It's reassuring to know that you're not abandoned, to be reminded that you're safe, that it's okay to go on with your evening and not worry about the parents while, you're gone, while they're gone. The disciples were told that Jesus would return, not so that, they would, that, so that we would spend our lives doing nothing but worrying about when that would happen, but so that we wouldn't spend our lives worrying about it, so that we could trust it and live our lives with a sense of peace, knowing that we have not been abandoned. The second reason parents say we'll be back, it's a reminder that there are certain expectations that they have of their children while they're gone, and pretty soon they are going to return and they are going to know whether their children have lived up to those expectations or not. Long before the parents get to the door and say, we'll be back, they have already been saying, now while we're gone, you know the rules. You know what we expect of you. They've already taught the children how to behave while they're gone. 
The same is true of Jesus. He had spent three years teaching his disciples and testing his disciples, priming them and preparing them for how to live after his departure. He gave them commandments about loving each other, forgiving each other, serving others instead of themselves. He taught them about ministering in his name, teaching and healing and sharing the good news. And then in those 40 days after the resurrection, leading up to the ascension, he gave them specific instructions of preparation. Stay in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit. And then, in the power of the Holy Spirit, take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Jesus was telling them, I'm getting ready to go. You know the rules. Here's what I expect of you. And by the way, I'll be back. Jesus wasn't just speaking to his first disciples. He was speaking to us, too. He was saying to you and to me, you know the rules. Here's what I expect from you. Go make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Everything that Jesus commanded about love and forgiveness and welcoming others and reaching out to strangers and making personal sacrifices and putting others first and sharing his love and spreading his message, all of that, that is how he expects us to live now. And he will be back. When Jesus promised to return, he wanted to reassure us so that we could go on with life without fear, knowing that we are not abandoned, knowing that we are not out here on our own. But he also wanted us to know, to realize, that there will come a day of reckoning when it will be revealed whether or not we lived according to what he had taught us. You know, there are some kids that just shouldn't be left alone. I had some friends in high school that if their parents went away for the weekend... It was a foregone conclusion that the house would be a wreck when they got back. And there was a pretty good chance that the police would be there, too. The kids knew that the parents would be home eventually, and they knew that they wouldn't be able to hide what they had done. They just were not at a maturity level where they were able to think ahead to the consequences and make good choices without someone forcing their hand. Jesus expects a whole lot more of us than that. Jesus expects that when he says, I will come back soon, that we will be able to give some forethought as to how we ought to live in the meantime. And I don't mean just trying to be decent people and stay out of trouble. Jesus set much higher standards for us than that. Take up your cross and follow me. Whoever comes after me must be willing to lay down his life for me and for the sake of the gospel. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Forgive, even as you have been forgiven. Be a servant to all. Jesus expects us to actively pursue mercy and to work toward justice in society, not because we can fix everything on our own, but because he is with us and he has shown us the way. Jesus expects us to make personal sacrifices so that others might live and share in his blessings. Jesus expects us to take responsibility for the planet that he has placed into our care. Jesus expects us to be peacemakers and kingdom builders. Jesus has given us a commission to do something with our lives, to help usher in the kingdom and to spread his love. And he is coming back. He's going to know. Are you just standing there staring up at the sky? Are you sitting on the floor waiting for him to come clean up all your messes? Or are you claiming the power that he gives you through the Holy Spirit to live life according to his expectations, to minister in his name, to make a difference in this world through the power that he has placed in you? 
Why do you stand there looking toward heaven? He has given you the Holy Spirit. Let's get to work in his name. I invite you to stand as you're able for the closing hymn. It's number 327 in the hymnal. Crown him with many crowns. from this place knowing that the ascended Christ goes with you to lead you in ministry in his name. Go in the name of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.